Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hupka, the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. Our Pod Squad also includes Helena Hodges, who is our Vice President of Finance and Operations and our producer, and my co-host, Christina Eanes, who is our 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications, and she will be missing us for this episode. But I am very, very excited that we are interviewing Cami Bean today. Welcome, Cammy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. I am I have really been looking forward to this conversation because we're going to be talking about the accidental instructional designer. I'll tell you why I'm really excited in a little bit, but before I do, I'd love it if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, well, where do I start? Do you want me to go all the way back to the beginning? Um, oh, feel free. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so as the title indicates, I'm well, I'm Cami Bean. I am an accidental instructional designer. Like many of you out there, I fell into instructional design, e-learning, content development, the L&D space, totally by accident. Yes. And I have been in this space now for 27 years. So I've been accidentally doing this for 27 years. At some point, you probably have to say you're not doing it accidentally anymore. <laughs> um, I have worked in those many years. In those 27 years, I have been um, at a small startup. I have been at medium-sized companies. I've worked as a freelancer. I've been at boutique mom-and-pop shops. For the last 14 years, I have been with an organization called Kineo. We are a global learning solutions company working with you know big brand names, de developing amazing solutions across the whole blended spectrum. Uh, I started off with Kineo in 2009, helping open the U.S. operation, and I um, was the vice president of learning design at that point. About six years ago, I moved into a solutions consultant role, which is a salesperson. So now I'm an accidental <laughs> salesperson, but oh, I wow. speak the language of of instructional design every day. I mean, it's, we, can, we can talk about what that means. Um, I live in Massachusetts, uh, and I've been here for 30 plus years. And I was an English and German studies major in college, which, you know, just I think many of us who fall into this space by accident, <laughs> it's somewhat random, you know, what our backgrounds are. I think you're right. I think that is one commonality that a lot of us have, although we share one too. I'm also from Massachusetts originally, so ah, that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah. But we also share the accidental instructional designer. And I will tell you very briefly, I first moved to the DC area, which of course is where Metro DC ATD is based. And I came here with a political science degree and a plan to work on Capitol Hill. Something would happen. I'd run for president, obviously win, and that would be great. And very early on, I ended up accepting a role working as a coordinator in an education department for a nonprofit. And it was several years in that I realized that there was a term for what I was doing. And it was called instructional design. And it was right around then, I think, that I stumbled across your book, The Accidental Instructional Designer. And so I would love to find out from you why the accidental instructional designer? How did that term come to be? How did you start to realize that there were not just maybe one or two of us out there, but probably a lot of us who really needed to benefit from that? 
Yeah. Um, so I started speaking at conferences in probably about 2009, and I was connecting. You know, I'd been practicing as, as an instructional designer since 1996. Um, mm-hmm. I started going to conferences and realizing that I was not alone in my practice, um, for sure, connecting with people real time. But but actually, backing up a few years prior to that, so I had gotten my first job as well. It wasn't my first job; it was my second or third job where I you know, got junior instructional designer on the business card. And, and kind of like you, I was like, oh, this is a thing. There's a um, term like, for this. <laughs> this is the perfect mix for me. I get to do a little performance. I get to do writing. I get to talk to people. I wanted to, I thought I was going to go into teaching. You know, I kept deferring oh, yeah. that, that master's degree in education, right? So it's kind of the perfect storm or the perfect, um, you know, combination of all the things that I really love to do. Um, in about so I'd been practicing, I'd been working in this field for about 10 years. And in 2005, I started blogging. And um, there was this nascent blogging community of e-learning geeks and nerds who <laughs> started to connect on this. And they were on, you know, this is 2005. And I was at the stage of my career where I realized, huh, I'm probably going to be doing this for the rest of my life at this point, like something in this space. This seems to be where I'm developing my expertise and I have a career path going forward. And I, I, it had it had been dawning on me that there is much more behind instructional design than what I had been doing. So I made this really conscious decision to uh, informally teach myself instructional design in a more yeah. formal way, right? Like, so I wasn't going to go back to school. I had in 2005, I had two babies. Um, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going, I'm not going back to school right now. No. I started reading all the books. So I have, you know, you can't see behind me my my bookshelf, but I mm-hmm. bought you know the the science of instruction and all the things that people were telling me to to read. And I started connecting with this community online and realizing that there were so many of us who kind of fell into this and were trying to build the skills and the expertise as we went um, along with it, right? So um, that's kind of where it started to dawn on me. And then I started going to these conferences and realizing that there was this whole community of people and speaking on instructional design and tapping into these people who were also feeling like they were going it alone, right? You know, yeah. everyone kind of thinks they're inventing it for the first time. And and um, one of the things I like to assure all of us who fall into this is, hey, there's a community. You are not alone. There's a whole yep. place you can tap into and, and here's some places to get started. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you talk a little bit about that community, because I think for a lot of us, the first time we really feel connected, and especially if we did not come to instructional design through academia or through any sort of a more formal path, there's that moment where you do start realizing that there are people out there doing something very similar. And in fact, there are terms and terminology that you might be able to use to define it. In these communities, and maybe even, you know, fast forwarding a little bit more to today, where I think people get a little more exposure to some of the terminology, do you typically find that the accidental instructional designers are teams of one? Are they part of small companies? Are they part of bigger organizations? Is there any sort of a trend or do you tend to find that they pop up more in one location than another? They're everywhere. They're I, everywhere. I, okay. I, I don't see any any specific. I mean, you know, what if I run my session at a conference and it's the accidental, you know, best pra- practices for the accidental instructional designer? Yeah. Often it's people kind of at that early stage of their career um, who are who are just trying to figure it out, and they could mm-hmm. be anywhere. They're they're part of a big L and D team because they got tapped for their subject matter expertise. Like, hey, Absolutely. you know the content, you can train, or you know. <laughs> Uh, you're at a smaller organization. Hey, you know how to do PowerPoints really 
great. You're going to create our training, right? There's all people fall into this in so many different ways. Um, there are people who are VPs at large corporations in their L and D departments now who were accidental instructional designers. That's right. Right. There's it's it's it starts off accidental, and along the way, I think most of us become intentional. Um, so, you know, I was recently asked, do you still consider yourself an accidental instructional designer? It's like, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, a bit of it's just m- maybe it's that imposter syndrome, you know, like we all have a little <laughs> bit like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, sure. But, but more than anything, it's a beginner's mindset, kind of always keeping that that lens of there's more to learn. I don't know everything. So even after 27 years, I do not know close to anything is how I well, feel. I think it's really important to acknowledge that too. I think your roots can be in, as an accidental instructional designer and you can stay true to that. Even if you learn more, you become more intentional. Eventually you start to even gain an expertise in the field. You can still call yourself an accidental instructional designer and believe every word of that. I know I do anyway. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's interesting when I wrote the book. First wrote the book, the first edition came out in 2014. So yep. probably the research I was doing was 2013. So it's, let's call it a decade in, yeah. in the years that have happened. Um, it, you know, I think there has been a shift in the percentage of people who have degrees in instructional design now. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Because I used to ask, like, do you have a degree or not? don't have a degree? Right. Um, the data has changed. I see more people who have degrees. I think a bit of that's just maturation of the industry. There's been more exposure. E-learning has just gained a track, you know, a larger um, hold. Um, And people start off accidentally and then they can get a certificate. They can go online and get a master's degree. Like e-learning has has enabled people to get degrees much more easily. I don't have to leave my children at home and go to a brick and mortar school, right? It's So the landscape has changed. So a lot of people I do think find somewhere along their path, make a choice to become less accidental to become more intentional. And you may add a degree into that mix. I never have. Um, Yeah. One doesn't have to. um, And we could spark a lot of debate about that too, right? You know, people who say, well, you wouldn't hire an architect who doesn't have a, you know, a degree in architecture to design your house, or you wouldn't have a doctor who doesn't have an MD, but you're going to just, you're going to have an instructional designer who doesn't have a degree in instructional design. Yeah. I've heard the argument myself. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but I, I think it's a really important point. And actually, that gets me thinking a little bit about some of the challenges that perhaps the, we'll call them the intentional instructional designers, perhaps they do have that formal background or, you know, the certifications, the, the masters, whatever that might happen to look like for them. Do the challenges between that population and our accidental instructional designers differ at all with regard to maybe how they can find that great opportunity or maybe even in the day-to-day as they're trying to navigate how they might hone their skills or use their skills in their work? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you know, I've I've seen, this is a trend I've seen, and probably it depends on what school you come out of, but 10 mm-hmm. years ago at least, you know, you came out of an instructional design school and you did things really by the book, right? It was yeah. all about your your Bloom's taxonomy. And it was, um, you know, the learning and pedagogy piece was really down, probably really strong assessment questions. But often you would see um, perhaps the spark was not quite igniting in the creative side. Sure. And uh, with this move especially as we came out of the pandemic, right? There's just so much going on with digital learning and engaging learners and making more creative experiences. And um, that creative side is really, really important. And um, not to say that 
schools aren't teaching that because I think a lot of them probably are now. I think there there has been a shift. Um, but I would say that's not the focus of those who who go off and get a degree necessarily. Oh, sure. Um, but then, you know, a lot of the accidental instructional design, you know, we hire writers um, who have creative storytelling. That's who we hire. We train them to become instructional designers because that is such a core skill set or, you know, storytelling or video production or, you know, all the other things that fall into instructional design. Um, yeah. And, and, and in fact, that's a good side topic as well, too. It's, you know, all the, all the umbrella. Let me back that up. Instructional yeah. design has become in practice an umbrella term for a lot of different job functions, right? Yeah, so somebody might work at an organization and they call themselves an instructional designer, but they're an, you know, but they're an LMS administrator who also builds storyline courses. Mm-hmm. So are they doing true instructional design? You could have a big debate about that, right? Um, or I, you know, I call myself an instructional designer and I am building, yeah, like I said, beautiful storyline courses. Right. Maybe you're right. an instructional developer. So, and there'll be debate. If you're on LinkedIn, you will see this debate. It's been going on for 27 years that I've been in this field, right? Everyone, you know, what is an instructional designer? Who gets to call themselves that? And we're not going to solve it. It's not going to change. It's going to be this umbrella term because corporates want to hire someone who can do all of it. To, back to your point yeah. about one-stop shops. Um, you yeah. know, you want the person who wears all the hats, but it turns out there's a lot of hats that that fall under the task of instructional design in many people's minds. There are more than you can possibly balance on a single head in a given day or perhaps yes. in a given organization. Yeah. yeah. And I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily realize that. But I really like your point about the fact that there are a lot of ways that you might come into being an instructional designer, considering yourself one, or maybe you're figuring out who you are, but your organization calls you one. And I'm thinking about the people who may be very early in to instructional design mm-hmm. or what they might consider that. If you are an accidental instructional designer, how do you start to understand what success might look like? Because I think for some people, if they come into this with a certain background, they might make the assumption that as long as they are fulfilling what they've learned about in more of a traditional setting, then that's what success should look like. If you don't necessarily have those benchmarks, what does, how, how do you start to identify what success could look like for you in your role or for your organization and how you might even start to identify growth opportunities that might benefit you as you're rounding out what your definition is going to look like? That is a really meaty question. Um, it is. I know. It's a really meaty question. So one of the things I talk about, and I'm not sure if this will get us in a roundabout way to back sure. to your question, but yeah. one of the things I talk about um, is that really when we work in L&D, there's kind of four core pieces of pie that mm-hmm. we have to become versant in, right? So there's, yeah. um, and, and this I used to say this was specific to e-learning or specific to instructional design, but as I've matured, I really feel like it's relevant to the entire industry, to all of us who work in L&D. So you need to be mm-hmm. versant in learning and pedagogy, right? That's, of course. that's a lot of the, the you know, the graduate school program stuff, it's writing objectives and writing assessment questions and understanding how to structure and scaffold a learning experience. Then there's the creative piece of the pie, which is all of the, um, I'm not going to say it's jazz hands, but it's how we make things ex- you know, engaging and, and sticky. Uh, so it's yeah. the storytelling, it's the graphics, it's the branding, it's the you know, game design experience, maybe it's videography, maybe it's podcasting, yeah. right? Like it's, it's right. a creative 
art that we do. This is the art and the science. Um, it is. And then there's the business piece of the, the learning pie, which could be running projects. I mean, many instructional designers have to become project managers and manage budgets and Gantt charts and schedules and consult to businesses. And that's a whole skill set that's, um, you know, really its own you know, line of work. Um, you might have the subject matter expertise that you're bringing to your instructional design position because you have that business savvy for your own organization. And yeah. then, of course, there's there's the technology piece, which is increasingly becoming a part, you know, a larger part of the equation. There's learning management systems, there's SCORM, there's XAPI, there's, you know, data and analytics, there's now there's AI, right? There's all these technologies yeah. and tools, there's QA. It's so, so. As an instructional designer, you're trying to kind of bringing us back to the question about success and like where you go. You might get into a job and you've been tasked with creating PowerPoints that are used for training in a classroom, right? So you're going to be starting with really small slivers of that. And I just, I encourage people to branch out, get that full picture of the pie and um, think about it though, in terms of, T-shaped skills, um, as opposed to you don't have to get specialized in everything, right? We're going to have broad knowledge. If you work in this field, you know, I think after 27 years, I have pretty good broad knowledge across all four pieces of this right. pie. I, I cannot program at all, right? Like I can't do the technology. And I, for many years, stuck my fingers in my ears and said, la, la, la to that sort of thing. <laughs> but but I can't anymore. And, um, you know, you kind of, you, you want to have this rounded picture of it, but create a deep vertical access. That's, you know, that's the, the vertical bar on your T and that's where you start to specialize. And, um, you know, thinking about what success looks like, I think we really have to know, you know, what makes you tick as a human? What, what brings you joy? What do you love to do? Where do you provide the most value and where are you going to have the most impact on your organization or on training opportunities. So, so that's sort of one thing, you know, I think there's, you know, there's so many places we can take this. Now, the other thing to think about too, is there are so many kinds of organizations where you can do instructional design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if what you really want to do is save the polar bears, Hello, World Wildlife Fund does a lot of training, right? That's um, right. Or if you want to go focus on, you're really good at software systems, go find a software company. Um, if you want to do customer education for, I don't know, a culinary school, they probably have an instructional design. I mean, there's just so many places that you could take it. So for you, what does success look like? I think that's a very personal question. Yeah. And hopefully it's that you found a job and a career path that brings you meaning and delight and you feel like you're making an impact and that your skills are being used for the greater good. Yeah. That sounds very laudatory, but yes, I mean, I believe that. I think we, we have um, an amazing opportunity to help people do their jobs better, to live their lives better because they are more productive at work. Um, It's, you know, an inspiring, inspiring place to work and you can find your niche someplace. And I think what you've touched on is so important as far as what an accidental instructional designer needs to know. Because for a lot of people who find themselves entering into the instructional design field from one of as many ways as you could possibly count, they may wonder whether or not you have to stick to one thing. If you enter in, do you have to stay there? What does growth look like? Mm -hmm. And I think that the way you've explained that is you just did such a beautiful job of letting people know that 
it really can be whatever you'd like to make of it. And in fact, because instructional design is so central to the way that a lot of organizations are run and how they learn and what they're building, you may find that your passion takes you toward a certain type of work. You may also find that your passion takes you into a certain part of the profession. You might find that e-learning is absolutely your thing and you can't wait to do more of it. You may find out that you want to specialize further and focus more on things like video. You may also find that you love being front of the room or front of the virtual room. And there's just so many different ways that you can explore that. And I think that's kind of a unique and very special thing about the accidental instructional designers. You never know where you're going to end up or how you're going to get in and where you end up. Yeah, it could be just as much of a surprise. It could be. Yeah. Could and, be. and you have the ability and the power to shape that depending on what you want to do and where you want to go. And you might find yourself accidentally a salesperson. Hello. Absolutely. It's it's the perfect match for my skills, my communication style. It's I have expertise. I consult with clients super early. Like it's it's great. I love it. The the growth opportunities for us are endless. Yep. And so I've got one more question that I'd love to ask you. And that's really about resources. So for those of us out there who have found themselves to be an accidental instructional designer, what are some of the tools or resources that you recommend that can help people to get up to speed? And this absolutely is a good time to mention your book. <laughs> Ah yes, well let's let's shill my book. One of my yeah. one of my personal favorites. I just there it is. I have it here too. <laughs> it is a second edition of it. Um, is released in 2023. So um, super oh excited about that. Great um, timing. Yep. Um, so uh, the rubber ducks on that cover have morphed into origami birds taking flight. Uh, oh, and um. You know, I've heard from a lot of people, and the reason I wrote this book is to help that person coming into the field or that more experienced practitioner who wants to turn that, you know, feeling of being an accident, kind of not knowing what they're doing, into a more intentional practice, a career focused on passion and purpose, right? That's uh, oh, yeah. really important. So my my book, uh, The Accidental Instructional Designer, Learning Design for the Digital Age, second edition, um, I think it's a great starter pack. Uh, I do list a lot of resources in there, but I mean... I, where can I start? Where would I end? Uh, Julie Dirksen's book, Design for How People Learn, like that should be mm -hmm. on everyone's list. Um, I agree. Uh, Ruth Colvin Clark uh, writes about evidence based for e learning. I mean, that's super important. The books yeah. of Michael Allen. I mean, there's just people compile a lot of you know their top ten lists out out there on the internet. Uh, Kathy Moore's Map It. I mean, there's just some amazing resources out there from books. So have a curious mind and go read. Uh, yeah. that's one connect with people on LinkedIn. I mean, there's a lot of people sharing some amazing stuff um, and it can be overwhelming and you're like, I got a day job, uh, but uh, it's worth following what people are doing. Go to conferences. I'm super excited to be going to, you know, ATD ICE this year, or I was Absolutely. at Technology. Um, there's, you know, Learning Guildhouse conferences. There are amazing conferences where you can connect with your peers and find out what people are actually doing. Yeah. You can have a kumbaya moment of, wow, we are all in this accidentally and I'm not alone. And that's really empowering um, as, a, as a resource um, and a way to move forward. So those are just three ideas. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned connection as part of that. I feel like one of the best ways you can feel very included and very important in the field is to connect with others who are doing it too and realize that you may be here by accident, but you are certainly not alone and the work that you do can be very, very intentional and important. Yeah. 
I am so glad we had an opportunity to chat. I'm also really glad, by the way, that we are not quite done with our conversation yet. So at the end of each one of our episodes, we like to ask a couple of rapid fire style questions. The idea is that these questions don't take any more than about 60 seconds or so to respond to. So what do you think? Would you like a couple of rapid fire questions? All right. Hit me up. Let's see what happens. All right. All right. So the first question we've got for you is give us one book that everyone must read and why. One book. Just the one. One book. All right. How about the dictionary? That's Uh, a good choice. Right? Right? All the words are in there. All the words are in there. And depending on which version of a dictionary you have, uh, the etymology behind a word, it's just really fascinating. Um, So, you know, dig down, understand the words that you're using. That's really important. That's all about communication. That is such a great choice. That's a really unique choice. I don't think we've heard dictionary before, but you've kind of got me thinking. Imagine how you could expand your vocabulary and, you know, the real opportunity that comes from having more words at your disposal. I think I'm inspired to check this out. My husband was, I I think the reason I came up with his answer, my husband, uh, who's a smarty pants with a master's degree in English, was recently sharing how when he was a kid, he would just read the dictionary. He was telling this to one of my (laughs) children and he, he knows more than... He's like one of the smartest people I know. So, you know, th- there you go. Study, well, study the words, meanings of words. I'm inspired. That's a really good one. All right. Your second question. What is one tool that you can't live without? A tool? Yeah. I think I'd have to say my phone, which is sort of embarrassing in, in some ways. But you know what? It's a tool for so many. I use it for so many things. Um, you know, I, I actually read books on my phone. I listen to podcasts. I yep. uh, I have a gratitude journal on there. I mean, all the things. Oh, I do wow. all of the things. Um, I love that. Yeah, there's a gratitude app that I every day I get a reminder because, you know, we're supposed to focus on our gratitude. It's been phenomenal. I keep track every day and I'm on a huge streak. So uh, that's incredible. Good good reminder. So that's a good tool. I well, you gave us two tools in one. And what is the app? It's called Gratitude. I will have to tell you afterwards. We, I'll look at my and phone. We're, ha- we're my happy phone. to put that in show. See, and that's exactly what you're supposed to do. But yeah, we'll have we'll uh, link to that in our show notes because I mean, you've just given a great example. There are so many ways that phones can be versatile and connect you to so many different things that you mm-hmm. were looking for that can feed your soul in just, absolutely you know, any way imaginable. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. Speaking of feeding your soul, our last question for you is: What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Do I, ha- do I have to identify who gave it to me? No, no. They can remain completely anonymous. <laughs> well, I'm just not sure that I could I could pinpoint this. I mean, I... I oh, sure. Uh, like who gave this to me? I have no idea. I mean, it's mm-hmm. more just a mindset. And I think it's come out in this conversation today, which is really about having fun and finding the joy in what you do. Yeah. Um, if we don't have that... What's the point? Um, And, you know, that gets expressed as an instructional designer. Hopefully that gets expressed in the work that you produce. But every day when you show up for work, there should be something that gives you joy and gives you meaning. Um, And I, I, you know, I feel like a self-help talk show host now, but it's so important to what we do. So, yeah, go find some fun, make some joy. And I have to say, it's a quality that a lot of accidental instructional designers should bring with them because they weren't expecting this, but they stay because it's fun. And it uh, is fun. Yeah. It's one of the most fun parts of the profession that you can work in in an otherwise really great 
profession in general. So, Cami, I'm so glad we had a chance to spend some time together today. You have given me so much to think about. I think you've probably inspired a few more accidental instructional designers out there. So I really appreciate the fact that you spent some time chatting with me today. That's been wonderful. Thank you so much. And to all of you instructional designers out there, uh, accidental or intentional, uh, you know, good luck in your journey. You're having a big impact and you make a difference every day. Oh, absolutely right. You certainly are. And of course, a huge thank you to all of you for listening today. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in learning more about the Metro DC chapter of ATD or following us on social media? Go to dcatd.org and click on About. Follow the Metro DC chapter of ATD on LinkedIn today.